0: You're listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at uh, verses 21 through 23 today. We're also introducing another uh, memory verse uh, for uh, this part in our series, Colossians Chapter 1, verse 28, it reads this, speaking of Jesus, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. What a great verse concerning our mission, vision of our church. Here's what is a faithful and fruitful ministry here's what it seeks to do why don't we say it together out loud him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ amen well this morning we're going to look at verses 21 through 23 and uh, Paul has been speaking about Christ's preeminent or his supreme role in in the creation of all things, uh, verse 15, in the reconciliation of all things uh, and and, uh, a cosmic reconciliation, he says, where, where creation itself is going to be restored. But Paul turns to this small group of believers the church meeting at Philemon's house, and he says to them, and you, and you, I want you to hear how this glorious Christ and his incredible work of reconciliation has impacted you. And so just in a few verses, Paul tells them how the gospel of Christ has dealt with their past, transforms their present Secures their very future. Colossians 1, verse 21, and you who were who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Lord, we ask for your help. We know that your word is, gives life There's a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. So, Lord, help us to hear it. Help us to take it into our hearts. I pray that you would use me as your servant. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease. And your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you get these ads or not, um, but they seem to pop up frequently in my social media feeds. But it's a marketing scheme that tries to sell me a product using this um, before and after uh, approach. First, there's a picture on kind of one side of the page with the heading before. uh, And then there's usually a picture of this very out-of-shape looking middle-aged man, pale-skinned, somewhat pathetic. Sometimes I think resembling me. And then on the other side of the page is an after. And, uh, you know, it's usually something like this, after only a week of using said product or doing this exercise 10 minutes a day or taking this vitamin supplement you can now this man looks like this and he's uh, he's tanned he's got bulging muscles he's uh, has a ripped waistline and uh, he looks four inches taller I mean the transformation is unbelievable and I'm guessing this is quite an effective advertising method I may or may not have clicked on it I don't know The writers of the New Testament had their own unique and far more dignified way to betray a before and after. And in their case, the transformation they describe is not about physical stature, it's not about weakness to strength or obesity to lean or ugly to beautiful. The transformation is described in a much more spiritual and moral category. It's the before and after of someone who has come to know Christ. And it's a transformation that is attributed to the sovereign and saving and sanctifying grace of God. And it seems to be what Paul is doing here in our our text today He's calling us to think, the Colossians and us, to think about what you once were and what you are now and uh, where where you must continue to go. He's been explaining to them the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ and his work for them, and He's reminding them that this is not some kind of theory. This is not an unproven theory, but this is a, a verifiable truth and to which Paul says you only need to look at yourselves. He tells them, think of what you once were. Think of what has happened to you in Christ. Think of where you are now headed. It's quite a miracle of God that these things happened. This seems to be strategic of Paul because as we've noted, I think there are some here in Colossae who were struggling with doubts and questions about their Christian faith. Maybe they put their faith in Christ, but they realized how difficult and slow-going sometimes the Christian life is. Perhaps others were coming alongside of them and telling them, you know, uh, the gospel is really good, but you really need something else. You've got to have something in addition to the gospel. Uh, Paul and Epaphras, they haven't told you everything uh, that you need to know. Christ and the cross, they may have brought you into the family of God, but you really need to have something to go beyond that to have real and fulfilling spiritual life. That temptation continues to come to us today, doesn't it? Multiple kinds of ways. Uh, You need something else to ensure your salvation like good works. I mean, surely you're not just banking on your faith in Jesus to save you in the end. That's a subtle temptation, but it comes to us, doesn't it? Or there are those who say... You need another experience to fill you, like the charismatic brothers and sisters who would say, you've trusted Christ and this is really great, but what you really need is to be baptized in the Spirit. You need to have an experience that will fill you, that will bring fullness and the feelings that you're looking for. And it comes to us maybe a latest book or a prayer that's going to revolutionize our our lives in some way. But in each case, you understand when we start going down those paths that we minimize the person and work of Jesus Christ. We're subtly saying, you know, I'm just not sure he was enough. I'm not sure he was supreme enough. I'm not sure he's sufficient Enough. And what Paul, I think, is saying in these early verses is however great these promises are, whatever they are, the promises of prosperity or pleasure or popularity or piety or whatever, uh, those things, whatever in addition to Christ, they are never enough to carry us from the cradle to the grave and into eternity. But Paul says there is one life who can. And it is the life and salvation that is found in Jesus Christ alone. You do not need something extra, church. You need, we need to appreciate how much we've already been given in Christ. And so Paul gives them a little before and after as a reminder of the power of the gospel. Notice what he does here. First, he starts with what you once were remember what you once were verse 21 and you who were who once, he says were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds if it could be captured in a photograph it wouldn't be very pretty he gives a threefold description there of their lives before they came to know Christ. These things are true, I think, of anyone who doesn't know Christ. First, he says, they were alienated. The word means estranged. It means separated from. We know what that word means in human relationships, we think of hurts, we think of misunderstandings, we think of sometimes brokenness or bitterness, we feel estranged, we feel dislocated, we feel at odds with someone. But the alienation Paul speaks of here is an alienation from God. Our sin has alienated us, separate us from God. Adam knew of this alienation, Adam in the Genesis Chapters 1, 2, and 3, before he sinned, Adam knew of no estrangement of God. Imagine that, God coming and walking with him. No estrangement from his wife. No estrangement from the world. No alienation. But after his sin, he knew, he knew all about it. God promised him, Genesis 2, 17, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Not immediately, he would learn. But he would begin to experience this disintegration of life in all, all kinds of areas in his life that he hadn't. He would be separated from his relationship with God. The world around him, uh, his home, even his own soul would be ruptured. It would feel this alienation and he would experience that in, over time and he would understand This was something that was broken. No fig leaf would fix this. Only a cross. This alienation is true of everyone who's born after Adam. Secondly, he says, we were hostile in mind. That hostility he's talking about there is directed toward God. The sin of Adam went far beyond anything that he could undo. It it damaged himself to the point where he was unable to repair. And from that point on, it was no longer his nature de- to delight in God, but rather it was his nature uh, to delight in himself and to disregard God. There was hostility toward him. Sometimes we look around today and people who maybe aren't here who are lost in our community and we think that apathy much, must be their big problem Woodhouse I think correctly notes apathy is only a cover for antagonism eventually that comes out to the surface and we see that more and more today don't we people becoming more bold with their antagonism toward God hostile Paul describes it it's the right description hostility Hostility to the one that he's been writing about here, the firstborn of all creation, verse 15, in whom all things were created and whom all things hold together. This is an antagonism toward Christ. And if you're here today and you're thinking, my biggest problem is apathy, that, that may seem like that to you, but understand from God's perspective, you are hostile towards him. Even man's best efforts and intentions to reach God through religion, religion that you pick, you create, you shape, how you think it ought to be done, even those things are hostile to God because precisely they are on man's terms and not God's. And so it's a great arrogance and Hostility to approach God this way. Paul says this: is "What you once were, alienated, hostile in mind." Third, he says, "Doing evil deeds." Doing evil deeds. In other words, the alienation and the hostility of mind naturally expresses itself in behaviors. That always does we we do what we believe we act on what we believe bad beliefs inevitably yield the rotten fruit of evil behavior and again this is difficult when you're in when you are lost and away from the lord many times you don't think of yourself as evil before god or doing evil things and our wayward lost culture today, there are few things that people can do to merit the description of evil. And we're in a world in which this is constantly being reframed, isn't it? Where evil things are being justified and and moderated and called good. Sam Storms writes in our live and let live personal and postmodern, politically correct, don't you dare judge me or my lifestyle world. It's dangerous to call certain behaviors evil but that is what they are pride is a virtue abortion is health care you know on down the line some some were brought up in very good Families, sometimes Christian families, and you might even think it's difficult to remember a time in your life when you were doing evil things, particularly anything shameful. You think, how can this be true of me? Alienated, hostile towards God, doing evil deeds. These words by Paul are meant to help us to see that apart from Christ, we were utterly lost. That's what he's saying. This is how a holy God sees our lives apart from Christ. Fallen, lost man is not good at heart. Apart from Christ, we're alienated from God. Hostile, doing evil deeds. Paul says that's where you once were. Notice secondly, though, he points out where you now stand. So this is the after. Coming to Christ, you who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is a remarkable transformation, church. What he's saying here is, is miraculous. It may not appear so right away, but for those in Colossae, who had trusted in Christ, Paul is saying their very standing before God has changed. It's changed. They had been reconciled with God. The place that this reconciliation had first taken place, please note this, is not in their hearts, but at the cross. This is what he means by the body of flesh, by his death. It's interesting how he words this. He's reminding us that this act that has reconciled us, uh, has brought reconciled us, is from God. God did something for us. God has acted in Jesus Christ to put the universe back together to overcome the alienation, to bring peace where there was hostility, to bring good where evil used to reside. There is this massive change that has taken place. Note the significance of it. Paul says this happened in order to present them holy and blameless and above reproach before God. The word present is a legal term and it means to bring someone to court. And in this case, it's not just any court, it's the court of God. If they were to have appeared before God in his court while they were in their sins apart from Christ, alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil things, they would be facing the certain judgment and wrath of God. But in this miracle of miracles, Paul says, this great intervention, this great reversal, this great mercy that because of the cross of Jesus Christ, God has now reconciled them. So that now, when they stand before God, he says they are holy, blameless, and above reproach. How in the world can that be, church? How in the world? Brought before the divine judge of the universe that somehow they have now reconciled, been reconciled with God and they have been found to be above reproach without stain, without fault. Think about it. The very adjectives we would use to describe our Savior Jesus Christ, holy, blameless, and above reproach now are being ascribed to us. If you know your sin, that's a miracle, isn't it? What a contrast. What a change of position of standing. I think this this is much more dramatic and significant than a scrawny middle-aged man looking like Schwarzenegger, right? It's that we who once belong to the domain of darkness, he says in verse 13, are now citizens of the kingdom of his beloved son. Once enemies of God... But we're now forgiven and welcomed as sons and daughters can anything compare to that the implication here is that a person can know in the present what the verdict will be in the future when they stand before God that's remarkable you can know today In the present, what the verdict will be in the future when you stand before God in the court of heaven. You can know that in this life today. If your faith is in Christ alone, then you can rest assured that you will be justified, the legal term, declared righteous by God not on the basis of your own merit and record, because you have no chance and I have no chance, but on the merit of Christ for you. You see how assuring that is? You see, that's precisely why we can, we can sing, it is well with my soul and belt it out to the top of our lungs without blushing <laughs> because this is true. How assuring it was to the Christians in Colossae who perhaps were worried whether or not they had heard all of the gospel or whether or not they thought their faith in Christ was enough, whether they needed to do more. Paul says to think that we will stand before God And his court and be regarded by him as holy, blameless, and above reproach, that no charge can be brought. How breathtaking is that? There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Jesus paid it all and he gave us his righteousness that we might have this salvation. That is salvation. That is the gospel message. That's what it means. And the question is, is that where you stand today? Was there a, as we sometimes sing, I once was lost, but now I've been found time in your life? Your faith is in Christ alone, his cross, his resurrection, his perfect life lived for you his righteousness given to you upon your faith in him that's salvation he goes on this implication not not just has an implication not just for the future but when we stand before God someday but it also has implications for today so that's the third thing Paul notes how you must continue it's kind of shocking that when we read what we just happened, verse 21 and 22, but then we hear that this standing before God uh, as acceptable and righteous in heaven it's almost breathtaking that it has a condition, that it has the word "if" following it. Verse 23. If. Indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. If, indeed, you continue in the faith. Now, let's rule something out right away. By using the word if, Paul is not saying that one can lose their salvation. That's not what he means here. That that contradicts everything Paul has been saying. Frankly, everything he says elsewhere in the New Testament about salvation, that's not what he is saying. But what Paul is saying is that their, their continuing in the faith shows how real their faith is. The word faith in this verse, in this context, I think is not their personal faith, but rather he means it's a synonym of the gospel. Um, You think of Jude where he wants us uh, to contend for the faith that has been delivered once for all to the saints. He means faith. He means talking about not your personal faith and trust. He's talking about faith, meaning our faith, our, go- our message, our gospel, the content of what we believe. The truth about the person and work of Christ he's been talking about here in Colossians. So in other words, the continuance in the faith is a continuance in the gospel. It's a faithfulness to the gospel. So, so the real test of their genuineness, of the genuineness of their salvation here in Colossae is will they be sidetracked by some new teaching or will they continue to stand on the one gospel? And he even says that, right? Stable. He goes on to say, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So we're getting to the heart of Paul's main message here in, to the Colossians. Are you going to continue in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has radically saved you? Are you going to, chapter 2, verse 6, continue to walk in Christ, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught? Are you going to continue in the faith? Notice how he explains that to continue in the gospel was first to be stable in it. Stable—that's the word he uses. Literally means well established or well founded in the truth, like a like a building and its firm foundation. Our foundation is the Word of Christ, the truth of the gospel. Are you stable in that truth? In other words, to move from the gospel is to move from the very foundations upon which Christ has built his church. And this is why we must keep preaching and teaching the gospel. We must remain established in it. Secondly, to continue in it, he says, means to be steadfast. That's the word Paul uses, stable and steadfast. That means persevering in it are you going to continue persevering steadfast in the gospel John MacArthur has a saying about this he says truth and time go hand in hand perseverance over time becomes the ultimate validation for your faith that's the great call of texts like this. 1 Corinthians 15:58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Be steadfast. Hebrews 3:14, We have come for we have come to share in Christ if indeed if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Will we be steadfast in it? Not everyone will. And we know that too. He's told us other places, other writers. John told us first John two nineteen reminds us that some won't. And by the way, it doesn't mean that they lose their salvation. Notice what it says. First John 2 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they they all are not of us. Notice continuing, continuing in the gospel, persevering in the gospel steadfastly. It, It reveals the genuineness of our salvation. And then third, to continue means, he says, not shifting, verse 23, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. It's a very unique word in the New Testament. It means, again, not to be dissuaded from the gospel. Why would you be dissuaded from this? This is where your salvation lies. This is where your hope lies. The confident hope of being able to stand before God and being found blameless and above reproach to Him. Paul says, why would you shift from that? Having received it and believed it, he's telling the Colossians, don't ever let this go. This gospel, verse 23, has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Don't shift from it. Now again, we don't know for sure, but it seems like there were some false teachers who were coming to the Colossians, perhaps with a different gospel. And you understand any variation of what Paul has been teaching us in the the Bible, in these words, is a different gospel. Maybe they were promising some new fullness, that word he keeps repeating, some new fullness that they didn't already have. Maybe they were promising something in addition to Jesus, the supreme Creator, in whom all the fullness of God dwelt, the one who reconciled to himself all things, who saved the Colossians. But Paul is saying, is this new gospel, which is really no gospel at all, how do you expect it to give you new life and something in addition to what Jesus has done? He says, don't buy it. You know, today we see all kinds of threats to the gospel, temptations to shift from it. The prosperity gospel it's not enough you, we need God to make us rich um, the attack on the cross today and the cross is being attacked it always has been it will continue to be That you really don't you're not so bad you don't need somebody dying for you my goodness you're a good person that's a lie. The rejection of hell is an attack on the gospel. We're hearing that all the time. You know, God loves everybody, and then He's just going to save everybody. I don't know why you're so worried about all of this. There's no such thing as eternal damnation, that's being attacked today. The rejection of Christ as the only way to salvation. Why are you guys in so insistent upon Jesus for is the only way? Surely you don't believe He's the only way. The embracing of pragmatism over the plain teaching of Scripture. The social gospel, which makes the work of Christ, the gospel, all about equality and diversity, things like that, power structures, whatever else needs to change, rather than the fact that we need to be reconciled with a holy God. And there's going to be more temptations to shift. They're not going to end. What Paul's saying here is don't buy it. Continue. In the faith, he says. In the gospel, continue in it. Continue to be faithful in it. If he were writing today, he might say something like, don't click on that Facebook ad, Dumbo. (laughs) Promising something too good to be, it's not real. Stick with the real thing, he says. Continue in the gospel faith that has saved you if it's powerful enough to make you right before God in judgment, it's certainly powerful enough to keep you through this life and to bring you all the way home to heaven. There is one gospel on which we stand. Continue to stand in it, he says. Do you believe that? I ask you this morning has there been and I once was lost but now I'm found time in your life is your life different having come to know Christ to trust in him and to repent of your sins are you continuing to trust him today following him in repentance why would you put that off any longer Trust him today. Lord, thank you for the clear teaching of your word this morning. We ask, Lord, that as we're reminded of these things, they might truly be driven deep into our hearts and become a part of that foundation, Lord, the foundation of Christ at which we stand. And so help us, Lord. There will be many challenges along the way to move away from your gospel, to think that it's about our works and a hundred other attacks, Lord. Help us to continue. We pray for those that don't know you today. Maybe there are some that are, would acknowledge even this morning that they are verse 21. And there has been no verse 22. Lord, open their eyes to see the power, the love, the grace that is in your gospel through Jesus Christ. That they would turn from themselves and put their faith in Christ alone for salvation. And we pray that you would do that work today. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.